Dive in. The voice of the Thames Valley. River Radio. I think I like it. Uh, You give one quick twitch and the thing is done. Welcome to this show, Let's Do Lunch. This is a show all about food and nutrition. I'm Jenny Tishi. I'm a registered nutritionist, author of several cookery books, importantly, an absolute foodie. On the show, we invite a series of guests to come and talk about their lives and their relationship with food, whether that's someone who is from the world of sport. We've had Olympic athletes, professional cyclists on here. We've had sleep experts and we've had food photographers, a really broad range. But today we are bringing to you Joe Pratt. Now, Joe is a celebrated celebrity chef and the author of many cookbooks. Over the years, she's won numerous awards and accolades, including the Gourmand Writing Award and Waterstones Writer of the Future. Joe's worked with numerous celebrity chefs, including Jamie Oliver, Gordon Ramsay, and the late great Gary Rhodes. Welcome to the podcast, Joe. How are you today? Thank you. I'm very well. I'm really well. Thanks very much. It's it's Friday. The sun is out where I am at the moment. <laughs> so it's for it's now. Good. <laughs> we'll hope now. that it stays that way. <laughs> now, Joe, um, obviously, uh, I've come across you. Our worlds are sort of similar. But I would say one thing that differs, you've taken what I would consider uh, to be a relatively normal route into the way of, of, of the food world. Um, you studied home economics at John Moores University of Liverpool. And before you went on to work with loads of different uh, chefs, famous chefs, many of whom we know, very, very famous people. But when did you realise that what you had a passion for sort of made you stand out from other people that was your thing? Um, I don't know if I ever did, really. Things just sort of fell into place. I I followed my passion for for food. So like you said, I did a home economics degree. Um, I always, always wanted to work in food. I just didn't quite know what when I was younger. Um, I sort of did cooking at school. So I did food and nutrition and a home economics degree, had jobs in in a a couple of restaurants um, as a waitress. And then I thought, oh, I don't know if I want to work as a chef, actually, because it's quite antisocial. All my friends are out having fun. They're the ones to the the other side enjoying the the food and the drink that's being served to them. And I'm the one that's um, not able to enjoy the time with them. So that sort of put me off that angle a little bit. I mean, things moved on as my career changed, but at the time, that's how I felt. And I thought, well, there must be other areas of food. Um, and um, did my, my degree, and that opened up my eyes into a big world. And that was the nice thing about the particular course I did, because it was very varied. Um, it was very modular. You could concentrate on nutrition. You could concentrate on um, marketing side of food. Quite a lot of people in my course um, went into food production, so in sort of um, – like product development or even teaching you could have gone on to do. Um, And I was thinking maybe I'll go on and be a dietitian and do an extra course. But actually we did work experience as part of the um, the, the degree and I got a work experience position at a company who made products for people who had um, celiac disease. Uh, So it was all gluten-free flours and and 
products and I sort of had an insight into recipe writing um I helped out home economist there and how you write recipes um using particular products and then we went to the, the studios and and photographed them with the photographer and then did cookery demonstrations and I just thought wow this is amazing this is a really interesting side of of food where you can be creative um and you're mixing with people you're helping people because it's all about giving them the food that they want to eat or can eat um and that's really where it all started so i, I don't know if i sort of thought oh this is going in in this direction um things just kept on happening you know with any job i suppose they they always um nothing is static yeah uh, it's who i who you meet along the way and and where that door will open and and it just happened it was great do you know what i love about that is that you know we have these conversations with people on multiple occasions that you you're at school and you go through something like a careers interview and it's a bit tick box isn't it and out comes out pops <laughs> this is the perfect job for you but of course in I mean, I say you took a more traditional, more normal route to where you are, but the the reality is you went off in a direction that you were interested in without knowing actually what the final destination was. And not that you haven't necessarily reached the final destination, but you've obviously achieved things that make you feel very fulfilled and and happy uh, with your achievements. And I think that's wonderful that you've managed to get there. But the point is, you kind of didn't know exactly what it was you were going for, but you knew roughly which area you were passionate about. I think there's lots that we can teach our children about there, isn't there? I, absolutely. I mean, I guess you could say I was winging it, really. I mean, it was just. <laughs> that wouldn't go that far, Jay. <laughs> if my children said I'm going to go and wing it in life, I go, oh, I don't know, maybe not. But, but you, you, yes, exactly. If, you, if there's something you enjoy doing, you're going to get far more out of it and get further in life mm. um, because you're passionate and you're, you're putting your all into it rather than feeling you've got to do something. Um, you know, my children are sort of GCSE ages and. You know, when it comes to making those decisions of which ones to do, I mean, the advice of their teachers has been the same. Don't go for things that you feel you've got to do just because um, it's it's there. Do what you think you're good at because you'll find it far easier and you'll get more out of it and a better grade in the long run. Um, and that's, I guess, what I've done with my work, really. Yeah, it's, it's wonderful that. And also the other thing you said there um, is about delivering something or doing something with a purpose so when you had that insight with the um, celiac company the company that was producing products for people with celiac disease you could see the yeah. benefit of the work that you were doing and I'm sure you can see that today as well it's, it's wonderful to be able to see the end result so many people don't get to see that and therefore they don't really get the feedback do they they don't know whether they're making a difference to the world or not no, that's very true, actually, and it is nice. It doesn't suit everybody, but I, it certainly, for me, it was really nice to see the the um, the pleasure on people's faces when you're helping them um, mm. achieve something that they perhaps thought wasn't going to be possible, um, yeah. which is always nice. And that's that's cooking all round, really. Everybody thinks they can't do something, but once you set your mind to it, anything's possible. It might take you longer. It might not look like the picture in the book, but yeah, <laughs> you know, absolutely. You yes, that's very much me. Um, so. Question for you then. Let's go all the way back to your childhood. I think there's a massive connection between uh, what, what, well, there's a connection between what we eat as children and what we love as children and kind of our relationship as we, as we grow into food, as we become um, open to more options, perhaps as we get older. So what are your earliest food memories? What are your childhood food memories? Um, so many, actually. I mean, I did a lot of cooking with both of my grandmas. That was always oh, really nice. Wonderful. Um, no, it was. I mean, one one grandma, she was very much um, stick to the recipe or she'd make up her own ideas, but she would stick to what she'd written down. Um, and actually, before she passed away many years ago, she gave me a, um, a handwritten little book that she had had all of her sort of recipes in there, which is amazing. Um, and then my other grandma was 
throw it all together and hope for the best. And it was an eye-opener. You know, I mean, their trifles in particular were the two things that you would have complete contrast. You know, one was very set solid with the blancmange layer, the jelly layer, the custard layer, and you put a, the spoon into it and it would do that big, um, loud slurp noise because it was <laughs> properly solid. And then the other one was just absolutely covered with um, any booze that was in the cupboard just to make it really sort of gloopy and, and, and sloppy and, and you'd sort of spoon it. You'd have to use a straw, basically. And and that was the two different styles of cooking, which I really enjoyed learning from them both. And I think actually my cooking's ended up um, being a little bit of mix and match. You need to have a recipe to base things on, but there's nothing wrong with with um, veering off and, and doing what suits you or what you have in the cupboard. Um, so that was definitely a big memory. But also dinner parties. So my mum and dad would always be entertaining they'd have lots and lots of dinner parties in the past and um i've just got those memories of being up in my bedroom and smelling the the, the food coming up and and the, the laughter and then the next morning seeing the bomb site of the kitchen and my mum will probably be not happy with me saying that but it was <laughs> and i'd go around eating all the leftovers like the, the leftover desserts that they hadn't finished off and and the cheese boards and things and you know it's, it's just food for me all the time i loved it that's, that's actually really wonderful isn't it there's a connection there there's the kind of uh, connection with your grandma grandmothers and you know their yeah. approaches to cooking which is your familial connection but then that kind of connection with food as this social entity as this bringing together of people not just the, the skill of cooking it but the um is it skill and enjoying it you know the practice of enjoying the food yeah. you know isn't that wonderful so any particular smells that were wafting I mean I I don't know you know what era we're talking here but I remember my parents hosting dinner parties sort of 70s 80s you know the the prawn cocktail seemed to be a bit of a feature uh the beef yes. bourguignon seemed to be a bit of a feature is there anything particular that you remember wafting yeah. in your direction? All of those, really. I mean, yeah, I'm sure we're probably of a similar age. Like you say, so it would have been those dishes. And my mum had the Cordon Bleu cookery course. So she had these thick sort of books of, of recipes. I think they were a, a part work. They would come every so often, I think, in the post. And she'd work her way through those. But yes, it was. It was the it was the sort of the, the rich smells of, mm. of the main course cooking. Um, and it was often, you know, not that last minute panic stuff. There would be things that would have been cooking for a while. Um, and the cigar smoke because people used to smoke cigars a bit more then and it was that occasional cigar smoke at the end of the night and the smell of the coffee um i, I think yeah i remember the, the the sort of desserts during the day that my mum would cook as well mm. the meringues and things and that lovely sweetness all that advanced uh, preparation uh, i'm not sure yeah. i'm quite as uh, rigid in my planning as that <laughs> but, but it you know today when we have dinner parties if we can yeah. uh yeah so what would be your outstanding uh, sort of dish from your childhood what's the one memory that you really feel gosh that dish is the taste of my childhood <laughs> it's completely opposite from what i've just been saying shepherd's pie um with my mum would make a shepherd's pie. She'd often, my, my grandma had a, um, a shop, so she would, my mum would often work there on a, a Saturday when we were a bit older. And um, so it was the day that we had with my, just my dad when he wasn't working, my sister and I, and it was wonderful. We're just like, yeah, let's go and do the stuff with that. But mum would often do like a shepherd's pie that we'd have for lunch. And we, he would then crunch crisps, plain, ready salted, Walker's crisp, because I'm from Leicestershire and Walker's were based in Leicestershire. So we'd always have Walker's crisp crumbled on the top, bake it in the oven, and they would go really, really nice and crispy. And that is such a fond main dish of my childhood that I now do for my own children. I, I love that. Do you know anything else? But yeah, I've not. Do you know? So I'm, I'm, I'm married to a, a chap from Northern Ireland, and his mother uses crisps on things, um, particularly on so like mashed potato dishes. And I thought it was a Northern Irish thing, and now I'm having to rethink that. 
<laughs> makes sense. I don't know where it came from from them, but it was, uh, it's, oh, it's lovely. It's really nice. You get that nice little crunchy sort of salty um, topping to it. And you know, for any children that are a little bit awkward about what they're eating, if they've got something on the, on the top that they go, oh, actually, then they, they sort of dig their way into it and, and realise that the whole thing's quite tasty. So Familiar. For us. <laughs> yeah, I love that. Yeah. Um, so you're originally from, um, well, you grew up near Melton Mowbray, didn't you? Which is obviously associated with a very famous pork pie. Um, do you like them? I do now. I, when I was <laughs> growing up, I wasn't. I wasn't overly keen, and I didn't realise actually how famous Melton was for its pork pies. Um, when I went to, to university in Liverpool, uh, somebody said, "Oh, so do you work in the pork pie factory in the summer holidays?" I was like what? <laughs> um, I didn't. I wasn't overly keen as a child, but now, oh, I love them. I was, in fact, I was only up there a couple of weeks ago judging the um, the British Pie um, competition, um, which was amazing. So, what it was a great job. <laughs> Back in my land of and the land of um, well, Melton Mowbray is known for being the capital, food capital of um, of England because they're well known for so many food things: Stilton cheese, Red Leicester cheese. You know, everything up there is, is uh, pretty. And Walker's crisps. And Walker's Crisps, yeah, yes. just to add to that one. <laughs> no, I love it. Um, so now let's move on to your work, um, you know, with celebrity chefs. First of all, how did you go from your um, your studies at uh, university through to where you were st- working alongside celebrity chefs? Um, so when I the, the uh, work placement that I did, because I was at university and I was I was sort of working with celiac um, products um, or products for people with celiac disease. I then was offered a job there for six months after I finished to cover maternity leave, um, which was fantastic. And I thought, oh, this is this is a good start. Amazing. I've got this. I'd actually only just moved home um, and then moved back up to Liverpool for six months. Um, and that came to its natural end. But the uh, contacts that I made through there, I met somebody who um, knew someone at the BBC Good Food magazine. So it was a case of, OK, so I'm in London, uh, in Liverpool. Let's move down to London and do a week's work experience um, at the Good Food magazine. Um, on on Wood Lane in London and stayed on a friend's floor and that week wow. led to another week and another floor and another week and another friend and another floor and um, I never looked never turned around and again it was sort of that was London for me for my work and I did this work experience at the magazine freelanced self-employed right from the outset and of course they worked with so many chefs um, and um, food writers and it was it was amazing so the first person the first main um, celebrity chef I worked with was Gary Rhodes. Mm. BBC Good Food um, do a show at the NEC every year, and they said um, we think you can handle Gary Rhodes. He's quite quite particular, um, <laughs> but we think you can. Can you be his assistant for the uh, for the few days that we're up there? And I was like, oh, oh my gosh, I'm a big fan of Gary Rhodes. I remember seeing him many years before somewhere, and um, it was the most nerve wracking thing ever. But it was the start of where my career probably really ended up going because he was such a great teacher I mean this is this one weekend but then after that I ended up working with him on and off for 10 years um, wow. on his books and create recipes that were restaurant recipes and just switching them around so they were home recipes that you could do in your own kitchen rather than a restaurant kitchen I did all of the sort of food styling with him for the photo shoots and all the tv programs behind the scenes making the here's one I made earlier or in his case it was here's 10 I made earlier just to make sure we've got the best one <laughs> um, and it was fantastic and because of that link with him people probably looked and thought, well, if she can, if she can cope with a Michelin starred chef like Gary, who is very particular, um, very perfectionist, then she can probably work okay with other people. So I worked with Gordon Ramsay and along the way, met Jamie Oliver and did a few projects with him. Um, all the, all the chefs that were doing the TV programs at the time, it was, um, it was a very 
nice small world, really. Everyone was uh, quite interlinked. So you're working brilliant. in a similar capacity uh, to that, which you've explained the way in which you work with Gary. You worked with Gordon, worked with Jamie. So helping make sure that they looked perfect on screen, not necessarily from a makeup and hair perspective. Their food looked perfect <laughs> <laughs> on screen. <laughs> but everything went swimmingly. So really, you know, uh, they're the person appearing on the screen, but you're the person that's making sure it happens, you know, seamlessly. It's, all a big thing, really. it's amazing what when we see things on, on the TV, um, on food programmes, how there is a big team of people behind it because there's so much involved in food um, and you can't just spend ages and ages sort of waiting for things to cook. So you want to have the next stages already ready. So yes, it's, it's um, the person, the chef is the one whose recipe that you'd be using. And obviously, yes, they're the one that gets the credit for all of that and quite rightly, but it's the team of people behind them that help all of that happen, mm. um, which is really, really important. And it was, uh, it was that side of things that I've really, really enjoyed doing and, and, uh, sort of met a lot of people along the way which was really nice and you, I mean you must have been quite young when you first started working with Gary and that's quite a big thing to do do you think that's part of who you are as a person just sort of throw yourself in get on with it and work out how you're going to do it once you're there yeah I think if I if I was told that was go, you know in advance oh you're going to be doing this in, in three years time I would have panicked and thought oh no I can't do that no 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 but you know every day is just it's a different day you take it in your stride and you have to and, and I am a perfectionist I do like to do things properly um and if I'm going to do it I want to do it well mm. I, I don't see the point in just doing things half-heartedly and, and I guess that's that's where it's worked otherwise it would have just sort of backfired on me and somebody else would have been asked to do the next project but um you know yeah. I enjoyed it and I learned a lot as well um of cooking skills and how to put flavors together and um you know Michelin star chefs are amazing at producing things that you can enjoy in a restaurant but you don't want to be doing that cooking necessarily every day at home so it was trying to work out those ways of um making it a bit more doable for people yeah I love that learning uh, experience you know just even watching uh, great british menu which is on at the moment and the watching the chefs who are all of such a high caliber that they are you know some of the top chefs in the country and yet they're humble enough to say oh, you know that what that person did with this was amazing I learned this from them I want to cook this way or I want to do that that way and I just think if we can all be you know no one's perfect right we're all open-minded and open to hopefully <laughs> to learning new new things but sounds like you had the best possible stage to learn that from a really early age yeah, it was. It was actually when I think about it. I mean, I was straight out of university, really, apart from six months of, of job that I had. And then um, uh, it, it just sort of, yes, went, went on from there. And it's quite a long time ago. I graduated in 1995. So I'm still still here working in food, but in, it's <laughs> along the way. Um, but yeah, it's nice. You never stop learning, do you? No. Like you say, with Great British Menu, other chefs are learning from other chefs on the programme and, and great to admit that they've picked up some good skills. Yeah. I, mean, I do cookery now and I always say to people, Tell me if I'm doing something that you do differently, because I, I like to learn different ways. There's nothing to say that I'm always doing it correctly. Yeah, um, yeah. Great tips. <laughs> Absolutely. No, I, I agree 100 percent. So tell me, um, what's your favorite experience of working with some of those big name chefs? Have you had a particular moment? You've got, oh, this is I'm going to remember this. I'll tell my grandchildren about this. Um, I don't know about specifically at the time. I suppose it's when I look back on them and think, well, I used to do a lot of, I used to like doing the live TV programs. In fact, I mean, I ended up doing quite a lot of things myself um, cooking on, on screen. So it wasn't really working with the other chefs. It was, it was when I was then doing, um, going onto programs and, and cooking against certain chefs. So there were various programs on, on ITV that I did sort of daily cooks and um, 
oh gosh, I mean, Saturday Kitchen in the past have done. And those are the things where I go, wow, this is amazing. This is fantastic. I'm, I'm here and it's such a great feeling because you've, you've got one hit at it and you've got to do it. If, if, if you don't do very well, fair and fine. But, you know, the, the adrenaline that goes through you when you're doing a live programme, I always used to really, really enjoy, yeah. um, which was great for I'd love to explore that a little bit further. We're just going to have a, a brief pause and then we're going to come back and we're going to talk a little bit more, uh, Joe, about your transition from kind of backstage to front stage, because I think that's going to be fascinating to find out about. We'll be back in just a moment. Music. Music. Was my first love. Across the Thames Valley, this is River Radio. Welcome back to this show, Let's Do Lunch. This is a show all about food and nutrition. I'm Jenny Tishi, I'm your host, and today I'm joined by Joe Pratt, who is a celebrated celebrity chef herself, but has also worked with numerous celebrity chefs, including Jamie Oliver, Gordon Ramsay, and the late, great Gary Rhodes. Now, we've been talking a little bit about your route to where you are today, Joe, but I'd love to know a little bit more about the point at which you went from what I'll call backstage but working and supporting some of those great chefs to being front stage to being in front of the camera yourself how did that happen I started doing um bits of what you call ghost writing for various different um chefs so because I was busy on many projects and just writing a standalone simple recipe to cook in the home um it was quick enough for me to write it for them um because I know their style so well um I sort of got into writing recipes and thought well, actually this is good and then I, I started doing the odd little recipe, was asked to do the odd recipe for various magazines under my own name, because um, it was probably cheaper that way for them to, to, to get a recipe out there that's still a decent recipe. Um, and it, that started to just sort of slowly creep in. But I think the first real sort of bit of, of I guess, main published work was a, a book called um, The Nation's Favourite Food, and it was a TV programme as well. And it happened to be the same TV uh, production team as Gary Rhodes' programmes for the BBC. Um, and because I'd worked sort of as the food stylist and home economist on there, this particular pro- tro- project needed recipes writing um, for the, the survey that had been done. So the nation had voted for 10 of their top favourites, breakfast, lunch, dinner, etc. lots of different categories. And then, um, so I wrote the recipes that went into the cookbook, but then we were doing a TV series as well. So a lot of chefs were being interviewed about their favourite dishes, members of the public were, but then we were filming the recipes. So there'd be a lot of my hands cooking the recipes. Um, I was never really talking to camera, but they're sort of doing things. And, and I guess that was the first sort of foot in it was like oh, okay she's not so bad on camera even though I'm not talking necessarily um and then it was a uh, just a you know the odd phone call would you like to come on and we're just doing a small little chat about food you're a bit of an expert could you talk about it and then things just sort of slowly moved on from there and, and because I had that first cookbook um introduction and had written my own recipes um I then was asked to write um for Elle magazine um uh-huh. as the food editor magazine many years ago which I absolutely loved because I was writing recipes for people of my own age um, that were 
enjoyed food, but could eat what they want when they want, really. You know, there's no sort of constraints. And then we were um, taking photos, but there were more lifestyle photos. So there was me in the pictures with my um, well, boyfriend then, husband now, and friends. And we were sort of on location. I remember going to Camp Sands and we were doing a sort of a picnic um, set up. Wow. And it was just fantastic. It was it was really nice. It was like, and maybe that was the moment when I thought this is, you know, I've, I've made it. Because it's, it's a little bit more about celebrating what I feel I'm, I'm comfortable doing as well um, and getting the sort of bit more in the limelight for it. Um, and it, that was, that was great. And of course, writing for Elle magazine, um, I then approached a publisher and said, could we do a cookbook for Elle? And um, actually we couldn't because of lots of different copyright issues with photography and it was a national company, but um, I had an idea for another book and that's when my very first um, sort of book just under my own name called the, uh, in the mood for food came about um, and it was um, fantastic, great, great, great to write, loads of recipes based on what mood you're in. You might want something healthy, you might want something naughty but nice. Um, and that was that was it. And then got asked on to various different TV shows to sort of be a, a chef um, mm-hmm. as, a, as a sort of so-called celebrity chef, which sounds a bit crazy, but, um, you know, cooking on camera. Yeah, which was I brilliant. love that. So um, tell me a little bit more about the Nation's Food Project that you worked on. That, that was identifying the best or the top 10, did you say, dishes that the that British people love and then you created those yeah. recipes? So There were 10 categories yeah. um, and uh, there was a survey done across the whole of the nation. I think BBC had done the nation's favourite poems. They've done all sorts of nation's favourite things in the past. I mean, bearing in mind this was... Uh, probably early to mid 2000 I think it's probably about 2004 or something so it's quite a long time ago Um, and uh, the nation had voted for 10 of their favourite breakfasts so obviously the top favourite at the time was the fried English you know full English breakfast interesting actually if it was done now how differently the things would be Um, our tastes have changed and our our mindset has changed towards um, healthy eating but um, uh, it was it was good to do, and then I sort of had hundred recipes to have to write um, with a bit of a twist. So it might be yes, it, we know how to make a full English breakfast. It's fried egg, fried bacon, and but I needed to sort of write a recipe for people to be able to follow to go into this cookbook, but with a twist all the time because it had yeah. to. It couldn't just be the basic recipe. It Something a bit a more hooky. Yeah. Um, what about uh, in the mood for food? Tell me a little bit about that. I'm I'm intrigued. So like, if you felt like you wanted something, was it? Did you say indulgent? You had an indulgence section. That, is that yes, how it worked? I think there were six chapters in that book. So they were sort of in the mood for um, healthy food. So there were some nice breakfasts and lunch and dinners, recipes in there. And I had sort of had a um, in the mood for something naughty, bit nice. And that was all sweet things and cakes and puddings and desserts uh, in the mood for something quick. Um, so really quick, simple sort of pasta dishes or, or sandwiches. Um, I'm trying to think. It was such a while ago of the different chapters that was in the mood for being extravagant. So there were some nice cocktails and um, little canapes and, and things. But all all recipes, I mean, that's my first baby, I suppose, really, because it was all of my favourite choices of recipes from many years of, of thinking about it and, and stuff that I really, really enjoyed making. And I had no children at, at the time. I had no life of, of um, other than myself to think about. It's quite selfish in a way, but that was, that was what the book was. It was, it was what you were in the mood for. You can cook, you can make it, you can eat it and you can indulge and enjoy it. Um, and then after that, I guess my books then, because I've now written number nine, book number nine. Wow, they've, they've evolved. number nine. <laughs> my life has evolved, really. Yes, yeah, so, you know, family, kids, um, dogs, craziness and and that's how uh, how the the books have um sort of come along isn't it wonderful i mean you know 
I imagine your parents, my parents have an age where I just kind of wish they had written everything down and it feels to me like you don't need to do that because your your life has been <laughs> it's been kind of logged <laughs> through recipe books it's like that's when I was at that stage <laughs> and even yeah and even some of the kind of you know the life stages that you've been through have been captured even if it isn't overtly obvious but through the food that you probably represented in those books I think that's wonderful that you've got that that's true, actually. And all the recipes, they have a little introduction to them. So often I'll re- you know, refer to uh, what's going on. You know, this is a, one of my children's favourites, or this is because there's a fussy eater. And, you know, I look back on them and think, oh, yes, actually, that's because of that reason. And, and obviously the pictures in them, sometimes you might see me sort of pregnant or I think, oh, I remember that one. Or the, one of my books, it was called the um, Madhouse Cookbook. It was renamed when it went into paperback called um, In the Mood for Quick Family Food. But both my children were... Um, featured in that a lot at the time I think they were about four and six and my son in particular was so fussy and we needed a picture of him eating a it was a courgette carbonara with you know spaghetti and courgettes and all sorts he wouldn't have it without with the sauce on he needed just plain pasta so you can see this picture of a bowl of the fork that looks like he's eating the real dish and actually behind that there's a tiny little bowl of plain pasta that he's actually eating for real because (laughs) he wouldn't touch the real thing it's just like oh but the memories it's nice it's like a photo album i suppose yeah i love that are they happy about being in the books or do they have this moment now because they're teenagers it's really embarrassing that we were ever in those books yeah it's not as easy now. I look on my phone. I've got so few photos of them at the moment, you know, age 14 and 12. They are a little bit um, less in, interested in being on camera. Yeah, I was going to um, say camera shy for us, but certainly not their peers. That's how it seems to work for me. I'm like, they'll face the camera for anybody else, but not for anything I'm doing. No. <laughs> I know. Constant sort of pulling these funny faces for Snapchat. I'm like, what are you doing? It's, like, it's only going to my friends. Can we not have a family photo to send just to the family? No. No. <laughs> that bit's banned. You're not having that. So, book yeah. number nine. So, this is the latest book, and I have got this. This is The Flexible Baker. Tell me a little bit about how this came about. I'm loving it, by the way. So, uh, tell me a bit how, how it came about. Uh, well, thank you. I'm glad you're loving it. Um, the flexible title before the word baker is um, a sort of a series that I started. Um, the first one was called The Flexible Vegetarian. So I'll sort of start from, from the first one. This was uh-huh. a, a few years ago. Um, and The Flexible Vegetarian is based on the fact that I don't think we should put ourselves in boxes. So if somebody does want to eat vegetarian food or vegan food, you, you should be able to, but not feel as though it, it's a cheat if you have a piece of meat or a bit of bacon or or you know something that that you really enjoy eating and and the point of the recipes are they they have flexibility to either enjoy um on a you know every so often basis or you can change the recipe and add meat or fish if you wanted to you could make the recipe and do part of it for a vegetarian member of the family or a meat eater of the family so they've got that real um bonus to them rather than it just being a vegetarian book or a meat eating book or a vegan book um and and it took off really well it sort of became actually it came out at the time where vegetarianism and veganism became really really quite popular um and then off the back of that i thought well that's all very well, but actually, you know, fish is being ignored a little bit here, and, and it's it's a shame because so many people are actually quite scared of cooking fish, mm. um, and it can come across as quite scary, and it's very, very easy to cook in comparison to a lot of meat, um, and you don't have to think as hard. Um, 
but people do feel as though it's it's a challenge. So I wanted to write this book that means, you know, don't. It's easy. You can make some nice, simple dishes. You don't have to gut a fish. You don't have to scale a fish. You can buy some nice, simple stuff, do some great recipes, and you could make them vegetarian if you wanted to. Um, so there's that fl- added flexibility there or different fish or, or whatever that you wanted to put into the uh, the recipes. Then I thought, okay, what's next? Um, so I was sort of chatting with the publisher and I thought, well, you know, family. I'm, I'm, I'm always cooking for my family. We're not vegetarian. We're not pescatarian. We eat everything, uh-huh. um, but within reason. Um, so I wanted to try and sort of tap into the um, family food area. And that's got a mixture of sort of sweet, savory, um, main courses, snacks, you name it. And it's got more flexible options looking at the gluten-free, dairy-free, vegan side of things rather than, um, you know, just a change of the odd, odd little ingredient. It's really focusing on on sort of dietary needs and requirements that we're, we're struggling with. You know, a lot of us are finding that it's a real issue. Mm. Um, it, you might have somebody coming over or a friend coming over and they can't eat nuts and you go, oh, it's throwing me into a spin or, um, you know, if you're dairy-free, what can we use as an alternative? So so that, the Flexible Family Cookbook was really um, the starting point to that. And then because I enjoyed writing that one so much, um, I thought, oh, there's a lot of nice baking things we can do. Um, so the Flexible Baker is is um, a cookbook, which is all baking recipes. Um, it's quite a few savoury ones in there. So various breads and, and pastries, um, and then lots of sweet things, tray bakes and cakes and biscuits. Um, but really with the emphasis on how you can add um, or, or change to suit your um, dietary needs and requirements. So nobody's nobody's missing out, but the flavour is still important and the ease and speed is key as well to me. Not speed for baking as such, but, you know, speed for preparation. Exactly, um, yeah. yeah. Do you know, I, I, I mean, I literally, I got this and I was like looking at it, I was thinking, oh, yeah, I'll make that, I'll make that. I had to be very careful what I chose, you know, because they, I could make everything in here. I actually chose <laughs> to make, um, now it was the prune and tea, there we go, the spelt and prune tea loaf. And first of all, I didn't have any prunes, so I, <laughs> I've already... Okay. I mean, I suppose adapted it. I've been flexible. I use raisins and I soak them in the tea and it worked brilliantly. Um, but what I love about this, I mean, we do use spelt flour and we had spelt flour. I think it was a mixture of spelt and emma and a few other ancient grains in there as well. Um, but I love the fact here at the bottom, the flexible um, panel here talks about gluten-free alternative. And rather than, because there's a lot of books that say just use gluten-free flour. And, you know, even I'll do that in some of my books. But what I love about this is that you've suggested... Um, buckwheat can be used instead of spelt uh, and again so from a health perspective you know the nutritionist in me goes yeah great we're using you know a whole grain here which is a wonderful alternative um, you've given a vegan alternative you've given a flavor swap if you wanted to make it more festive for, for Christmas but I love the flexibility in that because so often I think people you know going back to your I've, I've written down about your two grandmothers but your recipe grandmother and your hope grandmother <laughs> throw it all in and hope <laughs> grandmother um, but so many people I think um and my mother's a very recipe, very much a recipe follower and, you know, great cook, but very much a recipe follower. And I feel like so many people sort of say, oh, you know, I, I, I couldn't make that because I didn't have this. But you're basically at the first hurdle, you're saying, well, don't you don't fall at that hurdle because actually you can do it with this instead. And it's not just about not having the ingredient. It could also be that you couldn't eat that ingredient, that there might be one that you can eat. Do you think yeah. um, your books now reflect our tra- our changing way of eating uh the changing demands of the public i hope that's the way that they're perceived that's how i've written them that's how i want, want people to, to to uh to see them because 
we we are very different to how we used to be. There are so many more products on the market that are available. And, and actually what you just said about the, um, the gluten-free flour, that was really key in my mind when writing this book, that it's all very well to say to people, oh, yeah, just swap flour for gluten-free flour. Because actually a, a gluten-free flour blend nowadays is much better than it was a few years mm. ago because it's, 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 you can get some really, really good um, results from them. So most recipes can just have an automatic swap from plain um, wheat flour to a... a, a gluten-free flat blend that you can buy but um that's what i wanted to do just bring in the different options and varieties and um things that people could go okay yes that's that's a good point because i want to try something different i i think we're just open to more different ideas now and and yeah there are a lot more intolerances and allergies and and you know whatever those reasons may be perhaps because we've held ourselves back from eating things or being a bit too clean and um whatever it is it's out there Mm. and it's nice to enjoy whatever we eat and not feel you've just got to always have the same thing um foods foods to celebrate foods to enjoy it's a massive part of our daily life so we may as well make the most of of what we can and um try different flavors and different ingredients and yeah not feel like say put ourselves in a box because we we are oh well i've only got to eat vegetarian because that's what i said i am yes Um, we don't have to stick with a label do we and if we say we don't like something but we might want to try it i mean going back to the great british menu i was laughing last night watching um the newsreader hugh uh, edwards you know telling everyone that he didn't like sherry and of course then having the most beautiful sherry in the northern irish chaps dish and he was like oh i love sherry now but of course you've just got to be open-minded so Joe, going to ask you now, <laughs> what, which is your favourite recipe in your latest book, The Flexible Baker? <laughs> no, you see, I find that a really, really difficult question to answer because the book's obviously still very new, even though I was working on it for quite a while. Um, and a lot of them have different memories attached. I was writing these recipes during the pandemic, during the lockdown, uh-huh. um, which was hardest book I've ever had to write because of that reason because I couldn't get out there and experiment there was a flour shortage I could only buy a certain amount of eggs when I was doing an online order um and I couldn't give all the food away to my friends my neighbors were lucky they were all getting it on their like little parcels left on their doorstep Brilliant. every so I'd sort of whatsapp group say um I'm about to, you know, there's a banana and caramel tray bake I'm making. Can I leave some on somebody's doorstep? Can I have some feedback? Um, so every recipe's got a little sort of memory attached to it. And I don't know if I've, I can choose one that's an absolute favourite. Um, it's often ones that I've made recently because it sticks in my mind. But there's a, a pittanesca tomato tart, or rustic pittanesca tomato tarts, which I've made, which... Um, is one of my favourite savoury ones, I think, in there, which um wonderful. It's a really quick, simple pastry that you can make. Um, and it's not scary because a lot of people are scared of making pastry. And then you literally just roll it out into a rough circle, sliced tomatoes, a bit of sort of fried onion, um, anchovies, capers, olives, um, grated Parmesan cheese, a bit of chilli, olive oil, oregano, bake it in the oven, and you've got this really, really nice, tasty tart um, individual ones or a large one that's nice that's one of my favorite savory ones oh also though there's um chicken and chorizo sausage rolls in there which mm. um really nice and easy to do um and then sweet wise i'm going to say this one because i've started making it this morning and it's stuck in my head but it's um i've called the multi-millionaire shortbread oh um, the reason i started making it this morning <laughs> is because it ends over later and you need to caramelize the butter to make the shortbread so you just basically cooking your butter until it goes nice and golden um leave it to go cold and then the actual base of the um shortbread because i tried various options for this it is naturally gluten-free so you're not having to do any any changes if you want it to be gluten-free i've made it using a gluten-free flour because 
it becomes more crispy. It's got rice flour in there and it makes this really nice, crispy, crunchy um, shortbread base. And then the caramel on top, you're putting salt in there. So it's like um, a nice sort of salted caramel. Um, so you've got like the caramelized butter in the base, salted caramel sort of topping, and then um, just a nice melted chocolate. So they are probably one of my favorite sweet things at the moment today might be the coffee pavlova or um the uh coffee and walnut cake which is it just takes a walnut cake to another level because it's got walnut oil in it and ground walnuts rather than just the odd walnut shoved on the top um but yeah i don't know there's too many to choose from but, i mean oh. if anybody's interested they'll have to flick through and tell you their favorites as well because it's uh it's it's interesting to see what people go for um Mm. in a book it's really accessible though isn't it i mean this is the thing when you've got um families that want to i mean i think i think it's a lovely thing to do to bake together as a family i remember doing that when i was younger and and doing it with the kids as well perhaps less so now that they're (laughs) they're just moody teenagers but you know i think the thing is they're really accessible i mean there's nothing here that i'm looking at thinking okay well that's oh that's too many ingredients because that's my switch off you know when i'm looking at a recipe book and think oh far too many but there's none of that they're so simple in terms of ingredients and then i mean nothing more than really a page to to follow and often half a page of instructions to follow so i'd like to say you can't go wrong can you i mean it looks you can't go wrong and even if it does go wrong the flavors should still be there um uh, one thing i have i did sort of desperately not want to have was long long-winded recipes mm. and i thought originally because because we i was writing this during the pandemic and everybody was going map a sourdough i thought oh no this means i've got to put a sourdough recipe in there and i have i've not got the patience for sourdough i think i admire anybody that does and they have their their starter and their mother and i think it's brilliant and the results are fantastic but I thought, oh, I don't think I've got, I can't do this. So um, I've created a cheats sourdough recipe, which is in the book. And yeah. um, you get the flavour of a sourdough, but I've actually used a, a yogurt that you ferment overnight. So it just goes a little bit sort of sour in its mm-hmm. flavour and making a very simple bread. And um, I've called it cheats sourdough. So, um, you know, that, that's that's the key. It's nothing too, too complicated or, or um, long ingredients because there are other books out there for that. And yeah. it's just not... No, this is wonderful. This is wonderful. I'm just looking at your multi-millionaire shortbread as well. So I will just keep that open on that page for later. So we'll pop that over there. <laughs> right. So, sorry, I need to get back on track, don't I? I got so distracted. Um, so um, we'll have a little pause now, and I'd love to find out a little bit more now about what you're working on at the moment. You've got this fantastic book out, um, but what other projects? So we'll be back in just a moment. The Voice of the Thames Valley. River Radio. I think I like it. Uh, you give one quick twitch and the thing is done. Welcome back to Let's Do Lunch. I'm Jenny Tishi. I'm a registered nutritionist and this is a show all about food and nutrition. And today we're joined by Jo Pratt, who has just launched her ninth recipe book. Uh, just a few recipe books on the go. <laughs> the latest one is called The Flexible Baker. It is absolutely brilliant. I've been baking from it already. Um, I've been using some of the uh, twists that have been suggested and some of my own, which I love, um, to use the ingredients that I've got, which is exactly what Joe was saying it's all about. And also because Joe, you put the whole thing together during lockdown. So you had your own uh, challenges as far as ingredients were concerned. So well done you. Um, so in addition to having recently launched your latest cookery book, The Flexible Baker, what else are you up to at the moment, Joe? Um, still based on food <laughs> and books. Um, there's a really fun 
project I've just started. It's just launched, and it's it's called Sami Satsuma. Um, and uh, Sami Satsuma is a, a wonderful little character. He's a cartoon character who is a, a Satsuma, obviously. Um, but the the project is is story books and recipe books. So. Um, Sammy's this sort of the hero and the role model, really, of it all. And it's, it's aimed at children and they are illustrated books. And Sammy has got lots and lots of friends, all fruit and vegetables. So, um, you know, got Colin Carrot and, and lots of uh, Tommy Tomato. Um, and there's uh, storybooks that are illustrated uh, with all these characters, little adventure books. And then we've got recipe books. And I've written the recipes um, for children to make. So they I've written it as a child would be reading it so it would be so now whatever the child's name is you need to go and wash your hands maybe get an adult helper to to help you cut this or if they want to learn how to cut it there's a little qr code on the book and then you'll see an example of how to cut certain ingredients um, that you will see me chopping it up and you'll probably see sammy satsuma bouncing around telling you how to do it um but the really exciting thing about this is they're um individual books so they're bespoke so you you go onto the website and you you create your little characters avatar so if i wanted to buy something for my niece for example she's four years old so i'd sort of click on all the different colored hair colored eyes um length of hair and then this little um cartoon character of florence would be appearing throughout the storybooks um with sammy and his friends and her name would be printed on the pages and likewise in the recipe books so she would be her, it would say so florence now you need to do this and then she'd be sort of dotted around the books and it's just a really lovely project to be involved in because we're focusing on healthy eating for children without pushing it down their throats mm. it's it's work's gone into the fact that children will pick up on cartoon characters and they've got this real sort of acknowledgement of of character recognition and healthy eating and healthy vegetables and fruit so hopefully you know it's it's all good it's all good stuff it's all sort of nice fun fun things and what sort of age group would you say it's um targeting probably sort of four to seven eight years old Mm -hmm. um you know younger children can obviously have the stories read to them the storybooks read to them um and then if you're that young you can have the adult to help you however there's nothing to say that these books can't grow with you because if they're a recipe you know my children will make the recipes they'll follow them because it's written in a very simple method um and wording that that's not complicated or hard to do and also the you know instead of getting people to chop things all the time it's a case of you know grate it you don't have to chop you can use a grater so it's a bit safer um and easier to do and um you, know, you can keep those books with you forever and hand them down to your own children. Um, but yeah, mainly aimed at the younger sort of primary school market at this stage. And how will people access that? Is that via the a URL? Is it a website and then they can purchase online? How does it work? Yeah, it's a website. So it's, it's called samisatsuma.com mm-hmm. um, and we literally just launched. So we're sort of going through the soft launch stage at the moment. The website is up and running um, and you can order your books. So you go on there, you can either order the storybooks um, or the recipe books or you can order both. Um, and then you sort of like say you put all your details in for the child that you're buying them for and then um, they get printed and sent out to you so they're all printed to order um, in in the UK um, and uh, posted out and it's just a really nice personalized gift sort of thing if you know often a grandparent might sort of think right well I've got this amount of money I'd like to spend on a grandchild but what can I do that's a little bit special a little bit different a bit personal um, and then there's lots of little projects uh, there's like puzzles and um kitchen implements it's 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 growing it's a project that we're working on for now it started up originally by um two dads um ashley and and chris and they had this idea one night i think when they're in the pub chatting about children and getting them into 
eating well. I um, love the idea of it being that kind of interactive as well with the QR code that you can, if you're not sure, yeah. because, you know, I mean, we learn variously different ways but some people really do learn by watching other people do it or even trying to do it themselves and if you're not sure what the words mean on the page or how to interpret those then having the video is fantastic isn't it but it's also the way in which I think a lot of children are used to interacting with information and content so the fact it's QR code it's like the sort of it's like keeping up to speed with where we're at from a technological perspective isn't it and this is how kids exactly. want to and you can keep moving those forwards as well. Mm. So you can keep adding to those. So the recipe um, itself may stay as it is, but we can you know, improve on and do more and more little recipes. And, you know, in the long run, we're going to be doing YouTube stuff and little videos on how to make various recipes. Uh, children are very much into visual and movement. And gosh, I mean, they're better at technology at the age of four than probably I am at the age of nearly 50. You know, it's, quite, it's quite scary. Um, but that's, that's, that's the future. That's the way things are. And, and it helps people to eat well and cook well and you know have healthy food choices then that's only a good thing isn't it yeah absolutely I mean we're keeping up with the kids and helping helping them with our knowledge move forward and then uh, tell me a little bit about what else you're up to at the moment I know um one of the reasons that I know about you is because of plate up which is a fantastic new app Uh, your recipes are available through plate up they are yes, and PlateUp's brilliant because if, if people don't know about it already, they certainly should do. It's it's a brilliant app where you can choose what you want to cook. You know, recipes are on there, and you can click on the recipes, and then um, the ingredients go into your shopping basket. So if you're getting your online order, you've got everything just put in there for you without having to go. Oh, now let's go and add this, or oh, now I have to add that. So you can choose loads of different dishes. But you can do your whole meal plan for a week um, and think right. Okay, Monday we'll have this. Click on that recipe. Great, that's gone into the basket. And then, of course, you go over your shopping basket afterwards, whichever supermarket you're doing your order through, and think, actually, yes, I've already got that in the in the house, so I'll remove it. But it it really cuts out that sort of uh, big stage of you know writing it down on a piece of paper. What do I need to get? And um, so there's a lot of my recipes on there, and lots of other recipes as well from various different um, chefs, lots of celebrity chefs' um, recipes are going on there. And at the moment, they're from a lot of people's books. So they're recipes that are popular, that work. Um, and you've got loads, you know, lots of yours on there as well. So you know yourself that you've got recipes that are going out to people that may not have, have seen any of our books in the past or any yeah. work that we've done. And becoming really really popular and a lot of supermarkets are really excited about it too yeah um it's another way of keeping up with technology isn't it it is the technology is taking it taking things to another level (laughs) and it's just making things a lot easier um and i think we're going to be doing some videos um for plate up as well so people can um follow the how-tos and and make life easier yeah. as well but yeah it's, it's a fantastic app and it's going down very very well to make life easier for people oh that's brilliant but we so, still need to buy, i'm not saying we shouldn't buy cookbooks still no definitely <laughs> not having... i mean people again they consume content differently don't they there's so many people i speak to i mean i'm included you know i have to be a bit careful i don't collect too many recipe books but i love a recipe book i love the smell of it i love it i mean i'm sitting in with yours you know getting distracted from supposed to be doing a podcast it is it's a lovely thing but i mean not everybody wants to consume content that way and there's different ways that people work I mean it's a bit like people that have an online diary versus me that feels like I'm probably still with a file of facts to be fair but anyway (laughs) so uh, what are your plans for the future Joe what are you you know working on some great projects at the moment and what have you got on the horizon um well like I mean like I said the great projects at the moment I mean both plate up and Sammy Satsuma and and uh book writing are 
always going to be there for me. I've got to think of an, maybe another book idea. It's always, you always got to think one step ahead. I have no idea at this stage um, what. There's a lot out there and it's trying to find something that's not yet been not yet been done but also like I said before with books following my own sort of life so where that goes next I do not know um I don't like to sort of plan too far ahead I never had that um big ambition that I've got to aim for I think perhaps because I I know I've been very lucky with my career and things just sort of tend to follow on to the next thing and um that's how I've liked it otherwise I think disappointment would would uh, fall on my shoulders too badly if I hadn't reached my goal um my goals have been reached many times over I think really without me um planning on them being a goal in the first place yeah yeah I love that yeah you should reflect back and go well that was pretty good well done yeah <laughs> but also the fact you've been freelance the whole of your working life I think that probably sets you up mentally for a different perspective on work you know you know what it's like that I mean I was going to ask you about that actually briefly how did the pandemic affect everything that you do um, it was it was quite strange really because at the time I was doing a lot of cookery classes um and demonstrations which they obviously came to a complete and utter standstill. And I know there were a lot of things and and opportunities to do them online, but I didn't really enjoy that. I much prefer being face-to-face with people, cooking in a kitchen with them, um, chatting about food. So, yeah, work became quieter. But then, of course, the house was full of of the family and... um, I was still writing a cookbook, obviously. In fact, one came out right at the very beginning. The Flexible Family Cookbook came out right at the beginning of the first lockdown um, and then started writing The Flexible Baker during the whole thing anyway so I was still busy um but in a different way and paid work was few and far between and being freelance it was um yeah it was it was a challenge it was it was not easy but I actually loved the time I had with the family Mm. um and I know it wasn't roses for everybody at all and it certainly wasn't with us all the time but it's quality time that we will never get back in that sense yeah. um particularly yeah. that first lockdown we were very fortunate we were quite healthy throughout it but um yeah you know Good. the kids growing older and they don't want to see so much of you do they, no, they, get they, older. they had to for that brief period but now they're off <laughs> so um tell me a little bit about uh, if people want to, i mean are you back out doing workshops in person work again that people can come along and meet you and and learn from you is that something you're still doing yeah Yes, it is. I mean, there's lots of various sort of festivals and things I've got coming up over the next um, few months, uh, which is going to be really nice. And also I do cookery classes at uh, Leith's Cookery School, which is always really nice to do. Um, And I'll always sort of shout about things I'm doing on Instagram. Um, I do have a website. I need to put things on there more, really. But Instagram um, and sort of Twitter tend to be the places I put most of the stuff that I've got coming up. Brilliant. Um, What are your handles, your social media handles, so people can keep up? Everything is Cook With Joe Pratt. So whether it's Instagram or or Twitter, Cook With Joe Pratt. And, um, yeah, or the website is just Joe Joe dash pratt actually it is so uh, um yeah it's nice to have lots of lots of things coming up where you can be out and about with people and september i'll be doing pub in the park in chiswick which is yeah. near where i live which is the carriage as is one in marlow isn't there yeah. hopefully coming in marlow as a guest but um i'm going to be hosting the cookery stage there so sort of introducing people on and off and i cannot wait because it's going to be really really good fun doing that oh do you come and say hello if you're at the pub in the park in marlow because i think we'll be there as a radio station so that would be wonderful to get you on I and interview Will. brilliant um yeah. so quick fire questions uh this is four or five questions we've got and we'll just literally fire through them so if you had to have one last meal your death row meal what would it be ah, okay um probably a okay this time of year we're getting into the summery side of things and i think it would be a really nice piece of pan fried salmon some lovely asparagus 
um, crushed peas with mint and hollandaise sauce and Jersey royal potatoes. Oh, definitely. Oh, I love that. I had something very similar to that actually last week. It was delicious. Uh, who's your favourite chef? I call. <laughs> That's a tough one to ask you. Gary Rose, I think, all the time would be my top favourite chef because if it wasn't for him, I wouldn't have got to a lot of places I've got to in my career. Wonderful. Um, where would you like to eat that you've not eaten yet? Oh, gosh, no particular restaurant. Mm-hmm. Um, it's more areas and places. I want to travel more. I want to go to Australia. I'd like to do more of Italy. I'd like to go to India. Lots of lots of different cuisines, I think. Mm. Um, You've been watching the Stanley Tucci programme on Italy. Have you been seeing that? Yes, yeah. yes, and it's just, yeah, if yeah. you want to go. <laughs> yeah, me too. Uh, if you held a fancy dinner party um, and you have four people, four guests or characters, who would you invite and why? Only four. Okay. Mm. <laughs> Tough one. Um, okay. If it was, uh, what I would really like to do, and it's not famous people, but my grandparents, because I never cooked for them. They, I wasn't old enough they, to do a proper dinner party and they don't know really how my career went. I'm sure they do. They're looking down on me, but I would love to have a dinner party with them and sit around the table and chat about food and, and their experience of, of food and life and just catch up really. Or Ryan Reynolds. (laughs) Maybe you can sit there. (laughs) My grandparents or Ryan Reynolds. One one or other will do. (laughs) Oh, Joe, it's been wonderful to talk to you. It's been fascinating, you know, travelling your journey uh, with you to find out a little bit about where you started and your food memories and your connections with food and where you are today. Um, And I love the fact that you've managed to sort of chart your progression through life with your recipe books. I think that's wonderful that you're always going to have that and your kids are always going to have that. I do have to ask one question. Your your son that only ate pasta when he was old, you know, liked plain pasta because I know that feeling uh, when he was four. Where's he at now? I'm sure he's he's a lot more varied, is he not? He's a lot more varied, but give him a bowl of plain pasta and he would devour it. He's still happy as Larry. Oh, that's wonderful. Thank you so much. Well, look, uh, everyone, thank you very much for listening today. I'm Jenny Tishy. We've had Joe Pratt on the show today. If you want to know more, please do follow Joe on social media, on Twitter and Instagram in particular. That's where you'll find her and you'll find all of her latest shows, things that events that she's going to be doing over the summer, the dates for Pub in the Park. If you haven't got your tickets, you should have done. And of course, uh, information about Joe's latest book, which is called The Flexible Baker, which I am absolutely loving. And particularly if you do have have any allergies or intolerances it's absolutely wonderful and even if you just want to like me go to your cupboard and go oh gosh I haven't got that oh I can use that instead uh it's perfect so um thank you for listening uh if you want to leave us a review please do go to anywhere you normally listen to your podcasts apple google etc um and leave us a review five stars are always very welcome uh this has been let's do lunch I'm Jenny Tishi have a great day bye bye
the voice of the Thames Valley. River Radio. Radio. 